Hi, I'm Ashley Smith Thomas, a millennial talking about freedom and national security for America. I'm the founder of Freedoms Fund USA, a nonprofit to protect freedom and national security. I am a speaker, advocate, and thought leader. I spent 2016 saving Christians targeted by ISIS in the Middle East. This was truly an eye-opening and life-changing experience as I watched and learned from my fellow Christians who longed for freedom. It was that experience that became the inspiration to start this show. In this show, come with me as I interview experts about key freedom issues in America and how we can protect freedom. Because if we lose our freedom, how can we bring freedom to the whole world? Let's take action together and let freedom ring. Welcome. My name is Ashley Smith Thomas, and I am the host of Freedom Talks. As many of you know, this show is to educate Americans on key freedom and national security issues that impact our nation. And I like to bring subject matter experts on this show that can educate us, inform us on what is going on, but more importantly, empower us to take action so that we can make a difference. Last week, I did an episode on communism, what communism is and what we are seeing here across our nation, how we're seeing these various communistic movements take place and these decisions and policies that are occurring that are impacting the lives of many Americans. But more importantly, how we, the American people, can take action to protect freedom in our communities. But what is really astounding to me is that the more and more our freedoms are under attack, we see silence from pastors and religious leaders. Why are pastors remaining silent? Why is it so hard to find pastors to stand up and protect freedom? Today with me, uh, today I have with me a very special guest who is a subject matter expert. And today I have the pleasure of introducing Reverend Rafael Cruz. Rafael Cruz is a powerful example of the American dream. Born in Cuba, Rafael lived and suffered under an oppressive dictator. He began fighting Batista's regime as a teenager and was imprisoned and tortured simply because he wanted to be free. Rafael arrived in Texas in 1957 on a student visa. He got a job as a dishwasher, making 50 cents an hour, and worked his way through the University of Texas while learning English. He later built a small business in the oil and gas industry. Rafael is an ordained minister and the director of Grace for America, sharing the word of God in churches and pastors' conferences throughout the United States. In the early 1980s, he joined the State Board of the Religious Roundtable, a Judeo-Christian organization that mobilized millions of people of faith during the presidential campaign of Ronald Reagan. His son, Ted Cruz, is a constitutional conservative, a U.S. Senator from Texas, and was a candidate for United States President in 2016. When Ted was a child growing up in Houston, Rafael would tell him, when we faced oppression in Cuba, I had a place to flee to. If we lose our freedom here, where do we go? That's why Reverend Cruz is passionate about returning America to the biblical and historical foundations that made this country exceptional. Rafael, thank you so much for being here. Ashley, it's so great to be with you. Really appreciate it. And I just love what you said here, here in your bio, first and foremost, that what you told Ted when he was growing up, when we faced oppression in Cuba, I had a place to flee to. If we lose our freedom here, where do we go? Why did you come to America? 
Well, I came to America because I was seeking freedom. I was seeking freedom in Cuba. That's what got me involved in the revolution. Unfortunately, when Fidel Castro came on the scene, he presented himself as a freedom fighter. Mm. And uh, of course, we as kids, I was a high school student, and uh, the revolution was fought by high school and college students. And uh, so we thought he was a liberator. Little did we know. And as a result of my involvement, I, uh, I was captured twice. The second time I was in prison and tortured. But, you know, very, very interesting. On four different occasions, I should have been killed. And only by the grace of God, that God that I didn't know, but he knew me, I was spared. In one of those occasions, I was being walked to a firing squad. And all of a sudden, we came across a fellow student at the university that we called upon his name. He was a son of an army major. He didn't know we were in the underground. He vouched for us and they released us. And you know, I thought I was lucky, mm. but it was not luck at all. It was the hand of God because he had other purposes for my life. That is so good. That gives me goosebumps just hearing that story. That is incredible. When it says here in your bio that you are the powerful example of the American dream, clearly you came to America for freedom, but tell us your journey in establishing the American dream for your life. Well, you know, one of the great things about America is a free enterprise system. It is very interesting. You know, I'm a student of American history. Because George Santayana said, if we fail to learn the lessons of history, we're doomed to repeat them. Mm -hmm. And one of the unique things about the United States, this is the only country in the world that was founded as a Christian country. Before the pilgrims got off the boat, they penned a document called the Mayflower Compact. It began by stating their purpose for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. That was their stated purpose. And yet, those committed Christian men and women, that first year in Plymouth Plantation, they decided to try a communist experiment. They basically said to Governor Bradford, look, we got all this land before us. Why don't we all work the land together and share equally in what the land produces? It sounds very romantic, very idealistic. That was a total failure. And you can see why it would be a failure, because maybe somebody strong enough and eager enough to work 10 hours a day. Well, maybe I wasn't, and I was working two hours a day. Mm -hmm. How long do you think he was going to work 10 hours a day while I work two, and we get the same recompense? Probably no more than a week. Mm -hmm. So nobody worked. They almost starved to death. As a matter of fact, half of them died that first year. But after that first year, they were smart enough and flexible enough that they came before Governor Bradford and they said, Governor, this didn't work. And so the governor said, all right, each of you pick up your own land, you work your own land, you feed your family. And the free enterprise system was born in America after that year in Plymouth Plantation. Now the question is this, Ashley, if we tried it 400 years ago, and it was a total failure, why would we be dumb enough to try it again? But that's what's happening in America today. Right. Well, that's a really good question because, I mean, you look at who's on Capitol Hill right now and you see various individuals who believe in socialism. They're touting communism and these different communistic ideas that 
not realizing how their decisions are going to impact the American people. So when we see this that's going on here across our nation, I mean, we see these communistic Marxist movements. Uh, we see these individuals on Capitol Hill. You even see some of these crazy policies that are coming out from the current administration. Are you concerned that America is headed towards a communistic direction? Well, we are already there. What we have in the White House is a Marxist regime. Everything you see is right out of Karl Marx. But I'm very encouraged. I am very encouraged because they are in such disarray that now they're fighting each other. Mm -hmm. And the more that happens, the more they're going to be divided. I think 2022 is going to be a wonderful year. And there's going to be a dramatic change in America. But I'll tell you, if we get down to basics, communism has never worked. It's been a failure over and over again. You take the case of Cuba. Before Castro, and most Americans are not aware of this, but before Castro, Cuba was one of the richest countries in Latin America. It was seventh and eighth in skilled and unskilled labor per capita income in the world, wow. higher than half of Europe. Today, the average salary in Cuba is $30 a month. Then you look at Venezuela. When the oil boom occurred, they were the richest country in Latin America. Today, people are going through garbage cans in Venezuela looking for food. Communism doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't work is people very soon realize, no matter how much or how little you work, you're going to make the same so nobody works so the economy collapses. Mm -hmm. And so it, the same thing is going to happen in America. This administration is trying to create an entitlement society and put more and more and more people on the dole to buy votes. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to fail. And people are waking up. And the, the other thing is that there is an unprecedented attack on faith. And that is fundamental to Marxism. Marxism necessitates that you destroy the concept of God because government must become your God. Right. So that's why you see all the attacks, especially on Christianity, because mm -hmm. it's a Christian country. Because the loyalty must be to almighty government, not God. This is why also you see the attack on the family. They don't want loyalty to the family, but loyalty to the government in Cuba. Little children were taught, and I mean from kindergarten up, if you hear your parents speaking against the government, you must turn them into the police. Wow. Destroying children against the father. But you know, the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, the last chapter says in the later days, the hearts of the children will be turned towards the father and the hearts of the father will be turned towards the children. I think we are about to see not only a spiritual but a political awakening in America. That's so good. And I'm glad that she brought that up because something that I've been talking a lot about lately that someone had given me was the 45 communist goals that was read into Congress on January 10th, 1963. Mm -hmm. And when I read those goals, I cannot believe how they've already been implemented. But to your point, you see where they're trying to separate the children away from the parents. I mean, over the weekend, we saw the National School Board Association asking President Biden to deem parents terrorists who get pushed back to the school board. You see where children are turning on their parents, to your point. 
And then what's really interesting is that goal number 27 of the 45 goals, they said infiltrate the churches and replace revealed religion with social religion, Mm -hmm. discredit the Bible, and emphasize the need for an intellectual maturity, which does not need a religious crutch. So do you think that we're seeing today more of a social religion in the wake of critical race theory and these Marxist movements and BLM? Absolutely, absolutely. And and what has happened is this. Unfortunately, there are many pastors that are more concerned with being politically correct than with being biblically correct. Mm -hmm. And they are more concerned with tickle men's and women's ears than teaching the word of God fully. And so you find that because of pleasing people, they are not really doing their job. And God calls pastors to be shepherds, not to be wimps. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, most pastors are hiding behind their pulpits. And, you know, one of the big, big challenges that we have in America is church building programs, where they build this concrete structure to the tune of tens of millions of dollars. And then their message has to be diluted so that people don't leave the church and put enough money in the plate to pay for that big mortgage they have. And they're no longer worshiping God. They're worshiping a concrete idol. And then they don't want to be involved. One of their great excuses, you know, they love the excuses. Like, for example, you heard a lot in the last few years about the Johnson Amendment. The Johnson Amendment is a paper tiger. It's a very, very short sentence that Lyndon Johnson put in an appropriations bill because two conservative 501c3 opposed him when he was running for Senate. And so it simply says a 501c3 organization cannot speak in favor or against a a candidate for public office, period. Now, A pastor of a church is not a 501c3 organization. A church may be. That means that the 501c3 uh, Johnson Amendment does not preclude a pastor even from endorsing a candidate or from speaking in favor of a candidate. They have total flexibility to that and to talk. What does the Bible say about abortion? What does the Bible say about marriage between a man and a woman? Those are biblically very clear options. Mm -hmm. And they use the fear of the IRS to just be comfortably hiding behind the pulpit. So they really don't want those restrictions to, quote, go away, even though they're fake restrictions. But God calls us to shout it from the housetops. And actually what I do all the time is I speak at pastors' churches and conferences all across the nation and internationally trying to wake up pastors. The Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. And the more enlightenment we have, the more knowledge of truth we have, the more responsibility we have to share those truths. And you know, there is a verse of scripture that is so critical today. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, God says, I set before you today life and death, Mm -hmm. the blessing and the curse. And then God says, so choose life. I mean, it ought to be an easy decision. Right. Choose life. And he continues, that you and your descendants may live. 
really, we're not even fighting for ourselves. Mm -hmm. We're fighting for the freedom of our children and our children's children. And the sovereign truth is if we lose this battle, they will not have a future. But, you know, and that's what I am trying to shake up pastors and wake them up. Do your job. Because many people go to church feeling that the pastor is supposed to guide them among a path that looks more unclear every day. Mm -hmm. And if they don't lead, Jesus so clearly described it. They are scattered as sheep without a shepherd. Mm -hmm. That's what's happening in America today. I'm glad you brought that up, especially the fact that, you know, these pastors, people look to them for guidance, for direction, particularly in this critical time that we are in in as a nation. You would think that pastors would be more equipped and ready to help people who are struggling with finding hope here and everything that's going on. But what is really interesting is that we saw back in 2020 so many pastors jumping on the bandwagon of BLM, which we know the organization it was founded by trained Marxists. I mean, they've been very clear about that. They've said it themselves. And then we also saw pastors start teaching systemic racism, how the church is racist, how America is racist, and how Jesus would be a socialist because he would believe in inequality and it, it, actually not inequality. He believes in uh, equity and equality, but that he would take from the wealthy to give to the poor. So now you're seeing like a twisting of scripture taking place. Why are pastors doing this? Why are they twisting scripture? I mean, how Well, how do you know, you unfortunately, this? unfortunately, and this is sad, there's a statistician, Christian statistician by the name of George Barna. One of the shocking statistics, he said of Bible-believing Christians, presumably, that go to church once a week. So he's not talking about nominal Christians that just say, well, I'm a Christian because my parents are a Christian. Mm-hmm. These are people that go to church every week. Only 3% have read the Bible from cover to cover once, once. So people are Bible illiterate. Mm. When you say Jesus is a socialist, they don't know what Scripture says. In the first point, point, the Apostle Paul was very clear. You don't work, you don't eat. That's not socialism. Mm -hmm. And actually, if you look at Luke chapter 19, it's called the parable of the pounds. And it says about this master that gives three servants. To one, he gives one pound. To one, he gives, well, he gives a pound to each one of them. The same unit. And he says, occupy till I come. In other words, go and make business with this. Comes back after a while. And he says to the first one, what did you do with my pound? And the servant said, well, I gained 10 other pounds. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. I will place you over 10 cities. Second one, what did you do with my pounds? Well, I invested it. I gained five other pounds. Well done, good and faithful servant. I will place you over five cities. Now, notice this. Twice the results, twice the recompense. That is free enterprise. That's Mm -hmm. not equity. Equity is not a word that's in a Bible. Equality talks about equality of opportunity. Not equality of outcome, which is what Marxism is. And equality of outcome, which is what this administration is preaching, leads to nobody want to put any effort and become serfs of the government. 
That's good. It's really interesting because when you look at how we see, for an example, uh, AOC, how she's talking about tax the rich, and she's saying, you know, we're gonna we're gonna tax the wealthy, but yet she herself is wealthy. So, in other words, is she gonna be taxing herself too? And then you see so many millennials buying into that and buying into this free handout. They want everything free in the sake of equality. Do you think what we're seeing uh, in terms of millennials, and I've also seen reports where a lot of millennials are leaving the church, do you think that we're starting to see this trend of millennials not understanding truly what America's exceptionalism is, what free enterprise is? Why do you think we see millennials going well, that You've direction? addressed about three or four different issues. Let me see if I can take them one at a time. Sure. Let me start <laughs> with the last one, where millennials are leaving the church. Now, you know, it's another sobering statistic is where it says that 50% of millennials think that socialism is a better political system. Now, talk to anyone who's had an 18-year-old son or daughter. What do those kids at 17 or 18-year-old demand the most? Freedom. Mm -hmm. I want my freedom. I'm almost an adult. Don't tell me what to do. Why would they embrace a system where they have zero say, zero freedom, and everything is dictated by an almighty, powerful government? Mm -hmm. It's just stupidity and ignorance. Sure. You know, Thomas Jefferson once said, if a people expect to be ignorant and free, they expect what never was and never will be. We need to educate these kids. Because the outcome of socialism is going to be 180 degrees opposite to what they're being brainwashed with by all these Marxist professors across the universities in the U.S. So it, they are being duped into thinking, thinking they are going to achieve more freedom when all their freedom is going to be taken away. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, uh, you know, we need to educate. And it has to start in the home. It has to start in there. We, you know, I, I was just at a school board meeting two days ago. And actually, this was a very exciting thing. There is a, an area in, in Dallas Fort Worth called South Lake. In South Lake, they had seven liberals in the school board. All of a sudden, the churches of South Lake got together, and there were three uh, positions coming for election. They recruited three strong Christian conservatives, mobilized the people in the church only, and they won by 70-30. Now, just yesterday, day before yesterday, I was speaking at a rally for the fourth conservative. There's one seat coming up in just a week or two. And again, they're trying to mobilize the people of faith, and if they can elect the fourth one, you can reverse all this critical race theory. And you know something? The liberals are so brilliant about changing names and try to deceive you. Critical race theory is no longer being called critical race theory. It's being called ESL, emotional and social learning. Mm -hmm. And what's underneath? Critical race theory. Right. So and critical race theory is the most racist thing you could think about. As a matter of fact, BLM had nothing to do with black lives. It used 
black lives as pawns to spew out their hatred and their Marxist ideology. Mm -hmm. No, that's good. And that's something I had Hannah Smith and Cameron Bryan, who sit on the on the school board there in South Lake on the show, and they were talking about the battle that they went through to get into that position, but the power of mobilization, and let alone just the power of prayer and people coming together united to take back their school board, which was fantastic. Do you think that with what we're seeing that churches and pastors uh, should get more involved in politics and, and the direction that their community is headed? Do you think that more pastors should Absolutely. get involved? Absolutely. But before I address that, let's just go back to what you said at the beginning about prayer. Mm -hmm. Too many Christians use prayer as a cop-out. Mm. And they think, well, I'm praying. Let me tell you, after you get off your knees, you got to put feet to your prayer. Exactly. You go to God to get direction, and then you get off your knees and you do what God tells you to do. So many Christians are using prayer as an excuse not to get involved. And I'm not saying don't pray. But you pray to seek direction from God, not to sit in a corner and do nothing. That is not scriptural. That is not scriptural. And actually, like I said before, the more revelation we have, the more responsibility we have. Mm -hmm. And so... Pastors are to be leaders, not followers. You know, there were two uh, great examples in Nazi Germany, two pastors. The first one was called Martin Niemöller. And Martin Niemöller uh, said, first they came for the socialist. And I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionist. And I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews. And I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Finally, they came for me. And there was no one left to speak on my behalf. The second pastor was a pastor by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Mm -hmm. And Bonhoeffer said, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. But his next statement is the most striking. He said, God will not hold us guiltless. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. You see, silence shouts very loudly. We cannot be silent. We must not be silent. And actually, if you look at American history, it was the first great awakening that was a spark for the American Revolution. If you look at the Declaration of Independence, I count 26 grievances against King George in the Declaration of Independence. But did you know that each and every one of those 26 grievances were preached in the churches of America for 10 years before wow. Jefferson wrote them in the Declaration? It was pastors at the forefront of the battle for independence. And in every battle for our independence, pastors... And the men from their congregation were at the forefront of those battles. But you see, that has been erased from our American history because it's an inconvenient truth. Mm -hmm. That's so good. Wow. I mean, that's something new because I didn't even know that. So thank you so much for sharing that and just sharing your wisdom. What would you say would be a call to action for people who are listening? What can they do 
to protect freedom? I mean, if they're seeing this in their church, should they contact their pastors? What, what would you give as a call well, to action? Uh, I would say for, for lay people, mm-hmm. talk to your pastor. Okay. Talk to your pastor and say we must be involved. The future of our children and our grandchildren is at, is at stake. You know, in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 2, it says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, people mourn. But if the righteous are not voting, if the righteous are not running for office, then what's left? The wicked electing the wicked, and it becomes our fault. First of all, pastors must make sure that every person in their congregation is registered to vote and votes in every election. School board elections, those are the most important. Mm -hmm. City council election, mayoral elections, primaries are even much more important than the than the general, because in the primary, you can make sure you get the right person running in the general office, in the general election. Secondly, the pastor must be preaching on every area concerning our society. They must stop avoiding, quote, socially inconvenient truth. And pastors must recruit people from their churches to run for city council, to run for school board, to run for every position in office. And if they can't find anybody, maybe they themselves should run. I have a great friend who is a pastor. He was a state representative. He's now a county judge. He's still a pastor. But he's brought righteousness Mm. into the electoral process. And then we need to vote according to the word of God. Vote for men and women that uphold the principles that have made America the greatest country on the face of the earth. And each one of us needs to be involved. We cannot say, well, you do it. No, we all need to say, here am I, Lord. Send me, just like the prophet Isaiah does. If we do that, America will remain as that shining city on a hill to the glory of God. That's so good. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that you are able to come on the show and just be able to share your insight and wisdom. And I look forward to having you back because I feel like there's so much more to be said. And... Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Ashley. It's such a pleasure. And I just speak blessings upon each and every listener. And I just encourage you, get involved. Our future, the future of our children, the future of our grandchildren is at stake. Thank you so much. Well, I just want to say that this episode was made possible because of Vibrant Health MD. I'd like to thank them for making this possible. Vibrant Health MD is a health and wellness practice that helps you discover a healthy life so you can live your best life. For more information, visit vibranthealthmd.com. And as I conclude here, I just want to say to just encourage you to glean from the wisdom that Raphael had shared today and to approach your pastors, get your church involved. We have to protect freedom. But more importantly, in the time that we are living in, may we stand firm on God's word and seek his truth. In the scripture, it promises that God is a shelter, a shield, a refuge. He is our peace in time of trouble. He is our buckler and he is our shield. May we continue to go to the word, to find truth, to seek truth. May we get involved in protecting freedom because we are here for such a time as this. And I believe that America's best days are ahead of her because together we will stand for righteousness. We will speak truth and protect freedom. Thank you and God bless.